0: You're listening to The Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, forgive us our trespasses, Jesus teaches us to pray, as we forgive those who trespass against us. The fifth of seven petitions of the Lord's Prayer. And sometimes this trips us up. Pastor, Does this mean that God won't forgive me unless I forgive my enemy? That's the question that I hear, and I imagine you might have wondered the same thing. But this is getting it backwards, the direction of things reversed. God first forgives us. Jesus died on the cross long before we were even alive. God is always the first to act. The first to love, as St. John reminds us, we love because he first loved us. While we were his enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. He rescued us, forgives us all of our sins while we were still opposed to his mercy. And this means that the forgiveness of all of our sins is not something that we've earned or something that we've deserved, but rather it comes to us as a gift, grace and mercy. But we remember that the forgiveness of our sins that Jesus gives to us does have results. When our Lord Jesus comes and gives us the gift of the forgiveness of sins, he also gives us a new heart. He also gives us His Holy Spirit so that there is new life in us, new strength, even new desires, and a new understanding of what is good. Before the forgiveness of our sins, the best that we can think of is justice, making things right, being sure that things are fair. But after the forgiveness of sins, we, dear saints, are set free to love and to forgive one another and to have mercy on each other. Now, to put this point before us, Jesus tells a parable of the kingdom. This is a parable of the kingdom of God, not of the kingdom of man. If we were to try to run our homes or even uh, our nation by the things that Jesus teaches us in the parable, things would go to pot. Even worse than they have gone to pot. (laughs) But this is not about the kingdom of men. This is about the kingdom of God. We heard the text. The story went like this. There's a king, and he is collecting his debts. And one of his servants owes him 10,000 talents. A talent, you'll remember, is is one year's worth of wages. You can do the math. This is a lot of money. The man would have to work for 10,000 years to pay back the debt. And this debtor who can't pay is brought before the king and he begs for more time. Notice carefully how the prayer of the debtor goes. He says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. He only wants more time. But the king does not answer this request. The king doesn't give him more time so that he could pay back the debt. Instead, we read this. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, this is wonderful. And really, we should pause here and bask in the glory of it all. I mean, can you imagine this? the crushing weight of this debt. I mean, we had a little taste in the parable about what this kind of debt meant, that the man and his wife and his children and his property were all to be sold and that he was supposed to be thrown in jail. This debt was the end of this man. It was the end of his marriage. It was the end of his family and his children. It was the end of all of his possessions. It was the end of his freedom. This debt was the end of his life. And in this, Jesus gives us a profound picture of our own sinfulness. That the debt that we owe to God because of our sin is this deep, this profound, this dark. It pushes us to the grave. Our sin means for us the end of everything good. It means the loss of life, the family, of our property, of of everything that we have. And this debt is so big that we cannot repay it. But look, we, like this servant, always think that we can. That if we just get our act together, we can, with a little more time, make things right. Francis Pieper, who's a, an old teacher of the church, he's the dogmatician. He wrote the, the three-volume Christian dogmatics that, that all pastors study to learn their theology. In the beginning of his Dogmatics, he has this very profound and beautiful point. He says there are really only two religions in all of the world. There is the religion, on the one hand, of the law, and on the other hand, the religion of the gospel. And it is the religion of the law that says that we can and that we must be good people by our own efforts in order to appease God or the gods or whatever. Basically, the religion of the law says that we are paying off our own debt by our own efforts. And this religion of the law is also the religion of our sinful flesh. It's the religion that Adam and Eve had when they tried to cover their shame with the fig leaves. It's the religion of every person that you meet who thinks that they're going to go to heaven because they're a good person. It is the basic theological premise of Islam of Judaism, of Hinduism, of Buddhism, of any other ism that you can think of, even of atheism. It's all about good works and making things right by our efforts. Listen to what the servant says. Be patient, and I will pay you all that I owe. That, dear friends, is the creed of the religion of the law. But there is another religion Another doctrine, standing against the doctrine of the law, and that is the gospel. It is what this king does in the parable. He does not give the servant time to work off his debt. Jesus is given to pay our debt. Instead of sending us back to our own efforts, God sends His only begotten Son into our flesh and blood, into our humanity, into the debt that we owe to His justice and His wrath so that Jesus pays the price for you. He redeems you, not with gold or silver, but with His holy precious blood and His innocent suffering and death. So that Jesus does the work, all of the work, for our salvation. And he preaches this. It is finished. Now imagine it. That's something that you and I could never say. But Jesus on the cross says it. And it's true. Your debt is paid. Your sins are forgiven. You are purchased And one at the price of his death and resurrection. And this, dear saints, is the religion of the gospel. And you see how different it is from the law, right? And you see the joy that's there. And the light that's there. And the kindness and grace of God, which shines forth from this promise. And you, I know, know the sweetness because you've tasted a bit of the bitterness of your own sin you've tasted a bit of the bitterness of your own dying and you know that jesus that jesus has forgiven your sins that he is raised to set you free when the king forgives the servant the 10,000 talents he is giving this man everything back He gives him his family back, his freedom back. He gives him his life back. And look, nothing is asked in return. Now you can imagine if you're there in the parable that this forgiveness changes things. But it's not changed by coercion. It's not changed by the requirement of repayment. In fact, I think that if this servant were to think that he has to repay the debt, that that would be an insult to the generosity of the king. Because from him, everything is a gift. Everything is mercy and grace. This, dear saints, is our joy and our hope and our confidence in the gospel. It's why we wander into this place week after week to hear this and to rejoice in it that our sins are forgiven, that Jesus loves us, that he does not hold our iniquity against us, that we will not die and be condemned, but that Christ has died and he has risen and it's all for us. But the parable goes on and something goes wrong. Now, I think to really see what's happening in the parable... I would like for us to imagine it a little bit differently, okay? Imagine that instead of when this servant goes before the king with his 10,000 talents of debt and he begs the king for more time, the king says, fine, you've got more time. You've got one year to pay back the debt. You see the difference now? Now, the, the servant would certainly thank the king, but he would leave in a much different state of mind. If this was the case, if the king had not forgiveness, but only patience and the expectation that the servant would make things right, the servant goes forth to, in thankfulness. But how is his thankfulness demonstrated? I mean, just think about that. If, if he goes out with a year to pay back the debt, how does he show thanks to the king for that time? Well, he works as hard as he can to get the money to pay back the king. You see it? So when the servant leaves the king with no forgiveness but more time, he finds the guy that owes him a thousand denarii, and he says to him as he grabs him around the neck, pay me what you owe And he takes that guy and he throws him in jail to get the money so he can collect it and pay it to the king. And we would see that and we would say, that's good. That's right that he should do that. In fact, he should go and find every single person who owes him money and do the same thing. That this servant who leaves the king and is demanding payment from his fellow servant leaves as if he had not been forgiven. He leaves the king's presence as if he still owes a debt. He goes out of the courtroom set to pay back the king as if he was still under the law. And if this is the case, there is is a clarity about the offense that he gives. The reason... The reason why this servant's actions are so appalling to his fellow servants are because he acts as if the king had had no mercy. Now Jesus with this parable is aiming at you and me. And he's aiming specifically at our unwillingness to forgive our neighbor, our unwillingness to forgive our enemies our unwillingness to forgive the people who have sinned against us. And Jesus is saying to us with great clarity that when we refuse to forgive, we are acting as if God had not forgiven us. When we refuse to forgive, we are acting as if Jesus never died on the cross. When we refuse to forgive, We're pretending like we had never been baptized. And here's the terrible irony of the whole thing. When this servant acts as if the king didn't forgive him, then the king also acts like he didn't forgive him. He throws him in jail until he can pay the debt. He feels the full weight of the king's anger and wrath. Now, this is, dear saints, a fearful thing for us to consider because we know our hearts. We each know the anger that rolls around inside of us. We each know how hard it is to forgive. And maybe not even in general. I mean, we might be good at forgiving in general. But there's always one or two people that are almost impossible for us to forgive. People who have really sinned against us and who really do deserve our wrath. But look, it wasn't a pretend debt that the king forgave his servant, but a real debt. So that whatever your enemy deserves from you, you have deserved so much more from God. Right? So we love we love because we are loved first. We forgive because we are forgiven. We are merciful because the Lord has had mercy on us. It's not a parable that Jesus is telling so that we would go out and try more and harder to forgive The sins of those who sin against us, that's not the point. The point is that when we find in our own hearts a lack of forgiveness, when we find in our own lives a lovelessness or a harshness in the way that we treat each other and our neighbor, we are reminded by the parable that we have in fact forgotten the thing that matters the most. The cross of Jesus and the love that he has for us. So, with a little more imagination, let's imagine another little tweak to the parable. The servant goes before the king and he begs him, Give me more time and I will pay you all that I owe. But out of pity, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. And so that servant went out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And taking hold of him, he blessed him, saying, Rejoice! The king has forgiven me all my debt, and I also forgive you. Rejoice with me. And then, going together, those two servants found another servant who owed them both more money, and seizing him, they blessed him, saying, Rejoice! Our sins are forgiven. We also forgive you. And those three servants went and found another fellow servant who owed them even more. And taking hold of them, they blessed him and said, Rejoice. And their joy, dear saints, their joy knew no bounds, it had no limits. Like like the king's mercy, it endured forever. May God, the Holy Spirit, make it so with us. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.